Good morning. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. We're grateful that you're with us. Uh, VBS starts in less than two weeks from today or two weeks from today. Here's Becky Williamson to tell you a little bit more. Good morning. Yeah, two weeks from today. Thanks. <laughs> um, make sure you, I can always count on Gina for a whoop whoop. Got it. So make sure you go sign up online to join the team. And when you do that, um, you can mark your preferred area to serve. And you can also put a comment in the comment box if you have a child, a niece or nephew, neighbor child, whoever that you would like to serve with or be with if you're a crew leader, that type of thing. So make sure you go there and find that. Um, I've invited a couple of past VBS volunteers to just share briefly with you so that you can see they are real, live, normal-looking people that have enjoyed this experience, just in case you were feeling a little skeptical. So come on over, guys. The water's nice over here. They're going to just share uh, with you this morning. Good morning. Um, I'm Ben. I'm, I'm Sarah Martin. That's Ben. He's on my mind, obviously, this morning. Um, we have been serving in VBS. I think this will be our fourth year serving as crew leaders. So Becky asked um, if I would share why we do that. And... Um, Honestly, the reason we do it is because our kids are involved, and we've also always kind of adopted the philosophy that if our kids are involved and are benefiting and being, you know, fed in that area, that we would like to step in and serve in some way. So that's why we initially started. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's like an intense week, and it's busy, and, you know, our days are busy. We have camps and stuff throughout the days, and then we come to VBS at night. So um, it is busy, and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming at the get-go, but um, I just wanted to ensure anyone who's thinking about volunteering that once you get here, just the energy of the kids and the overall vibe of the place is um, energizing and it's a lot of fun and we've really just been blessed by working with a huge group. It takes so many people to make this week happen and so we really need um, just as many of you as, as possibly can to come and join the team and it's um, just a really encouraging, fun week for the kids, and even for us. And then Thursday night when you drive away, it's like, <sighs> feels good that it's done, but it's a great week. So that's, that's it. Here you go, Ashley. Thank you. I'm not Ashley. Uh, that's Ashley over there, my beautiful bride over there. Um, yeah, we started about the same reason Sarah and Ben did uh, at first, just uh, we want to help serve uh, along with our kids since they're here. But um, once you get into it, I mean, we've served multiple years now. We're serving again um, this year on a couple other different aspects. Um, it's just fun. Um, coming into the opening of the doors, just, I mean, you get to partake in the enthusiasm of the kids. Um, it, some of them will drop your jaw on how bold they are and how much they love uh, Jesus and you know, it's fun to get down to their level. I, for those of you who know me pretty well, I, I act like a kid a lot. And uh, <laughs> this is a good excuse to run around and scream and have fun with them. So it's a blast. Um, once you get through the initial, this is bananas, and you got to make sure they're all not lost and they're all in their spots. <laughs> once you get focused and get through that, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun, and uh, Thursday's a, a, a great time for all the families to come in and, and really have fun with all the kids. Um, so if you're on the fence, I realize a lot of you, stuff's going on, and, you know, you're busy, 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 but if you can, you know, separate five evenings to come and 
really bless the socks off of yourself and the kids. It's, it's a lot of fun. Okay, see you there. Our first impressions team is going to be handing out the connection card booklets now. So if you're a guest with us, you can fill the gray section out. If there's a next step for any of us to take, uh, whether it's baptism or uh, maybe membership or uh, serving in a ministry, mark those boxes and we'll be in contact this week. Considering the weekend and Memorial Day being tomorrow, I want to um, pause and pray and then we'll get into uh, the message. Uh, Father God, we are grateful for those who have uh, sacrificed, uh, given the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. Uh, as we gather here publicly this morning, we understand that uh, that freedom that we um, enjoy uh, came at a cost. And so I pray that you would comfort the families who have lost loved ones. I pray that you would um, be their hope uh, this weekend as they remember. And I pray for us ultimately that we would be a gospel people that understand that uh, the freedom that we have in Christ came at a cost as well. And uh, as we look at Jesus, that we see his great love on display as he laid his life down for his friends. And so uh, remind us of the gospel this weekend. Remind us of, uh, of families and uh, friends around us who have uh, lost loved ones and help us to be uh, your hands and feet in that in those moments. We love and trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, which I hope you do, get to uh, Hebrews 11. Today we finish up our series once, but now starting next week, we start a series called Together, which will take us through the summer up to our 15-year anniversary at the end of August. And so uh, th that series, in a lot of ways, we are going to be looking at the metaphors or analogies of the New Testament church that we find in the New Testament, such as body, uh, flock, family, those kind of things. And, and, and together, what you see in all of those pictures of the, New, of the New Testament church is you see an underlying theme of togetherness, together, that the God's people are called toward one another, together in Christ. And so that's why we're calling that series uh, that name. I believe it's going to be a, a, a timely series for us to look at as a church. In the summer, it is tempting to, to kind of hit uh, cruise control or autopilot. In the summer, I want to move forward. I want us to, as a church to move forward and walk by faith. And so today, looking at Hebrews 11 is going to lead us well into that because this whole chapter is about living by faith. For nearly 15 years as a church, we've been doing that. Living by faith, I believe this chapter will spur us on in that direction. In this passage, we'll see example after example of what it actually looks like to live by faith. We won't get to every example. Uh, we're going to look at four of them, I believe. But I, see, but I believe in these examples and in some of the Scripture that we're going to look at out of this chapter, we're going to be uh, encouraged in some of the elements of what living by faith actually looks like for us here in central Illinois. The reality is it's fairly easy for us to kind of go through the motions of the Christian life without demanding much faith. For instance, no one is walking through our doors right now, armed officials arresting us because we've get gathered publicly to worship Jesus. No one's doing that. None of us probably are wondering where our next meal is coming from. We probably already have our meal planned today, tomorrow, if not both days because of cookouts and gatherings. No, none of us are probably in jeopardy of losing our jobs or our houses because of our public faith in Christ. But consider the implications of verse 6 in Hebrews 11. 
It says this, Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Now, when we look at that passage, here's what we might think to ourselves. I have faith. I'm a believer in Christ. I placed my faith in Him when I got saved. And while that is true, and that's where it began, that's also not where it ended. Your faith in Christ is, is a way of life. This is a drum that we beat around Crosspoint because far too often American Christians see faith as something you go and do. Like you walk in this building, this is when I do faith on Sunday mornings. Or, or th- this faith is a compartment of my life rather than all of life. And so we put it on a shelf when we walk into the workplace. We put it on a shelf when we go with those friends or when we walk into school. For the Christians who are reading this letter, their context was, was people were being persecuted for their faith. And many that had been following Jesus were no longer following Him. So you've got readers of this letter who were discouraged by what they see around them. For some, for some of them, it was leading them to uh, question God or doubt Him. For some, it was causing them to, to lag behind in their faith, to be apathetic in their faith, or kind of go through the motions. And so in chapter 11, specifically, you have a reader or writer trying to uh, uh, motivate believers, to spur them on, to remind them that their faith in Christ is not just something that when you got saved, but your faith in Christ should lead to a way of life that draws near to the Lord, believes in the Lord, and then acts on those beliefs. Verse 6 is telling us such a life is pleasing to God. That kind of life fixes its eyes on Jesus and acts upon and lives upon those convictions. And Hebrews 11, this chapter tells us stories of, of names of people who by faith did just that, who followed and obeyed the Lord, who based their life based upon the convictions that they had. Some call this chapter the Hall of Heroes. And while it highlights the people who lived by faith and their example They're certainly not the heroes that we ultimately follow. This is why I love when the writer finishes this little section in chapter 12 with fixing our eyes on Jesus and not fixing our eyes on Noah or Abraham or Sarah. In chapter 11, you've got examples of people who live by faith. But here's one thing that is interesting to me as you read through this. The writer doesn't draw attention to their imperfections. He doesn't mention that, that Noah got drunk and naked ran around or how abraham pretended that his wife was his sister to save his own skin and that's not some sort of pc or pr job of spinning them into be someone that they are not it's rather drawing the reader's attention who would have known their sin and ugly just like we do we we know it when we read these names and we know these old testament stories the readers of this letter would have known those as well but it's drawing our attention to the work the Lord did in and through them as they walked by faith. It's not ignoring the past or the flesh-driven actions, but rather it's reminding us that the Lord used and called imperfect people, like you and me, who were willing to live by faith. Their focus isn't on the brokenness. The focus is on the God who is making broken things new, restoring broken things. So we need to be a people who are celebrating not the brokenness, celebrating the God who is at work mending and restoring what was once 
broken. Live by faith. It's all throughout Scripture. Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, Hebrews 10.38. They all say the righteous will live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says, For we live by faith, not by sight. Christ followers are charged by Scripture to live by faith. So what does that actually look like? Hebrews 11 begins with this, verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. So biblical faith is not wishful thinking. It's not just kind of blindly walking into the dark. It'll work out. No, biblical faith is anchored to a God who is faithful, true, and good, whose character is unchanging. Even though we may not see it all, we know the one who does, who is all-powerful, who knows all, sees all, has our best interests in mind because we are his kids, who has unfailing love. The ESV Study Bible calls faith, it says this, a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. I want to look at four people in Hebrews 11 to see how their settled confidence in God brought about an internal faith that led to an external action. Verse 7, by faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated, to, motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So here's one thing we learn about Noah and the life of faith. A life of faith will involve difficulty and you'll be tempted to flee. You'll be tempted to give up. You'll be tempted to not endure. The Lord asks Noah to build an ark in the middle of dry land because a flood is coming. Judgment is coming upon a sinful people. And Noah, as you build this ark, preach to the people. Call them to repentance. And the people mocked Noah, both for what he said and what he was doing in the middle of a desert. And yet Noah, even though he was faced with difficulty, he endured. He remained faithful to the vision the Lord has called him to and the mission to tell others. Let me ask you a question. You got something in your life that you're tempted to flee from right now? To give up? Because it's hard. It's going to require you to pursue humility. Maybe it, it seems too difficult. You're tempted to give up rather than endure. For instance, you're tempted to give up on your marriage. You're tempted to give up fighting an addiction. You're tempted to give up fighting a disease. Maybe you're tired of showing and telling of the good news to that prodigal kid. It does, doesn't seem very responsive. Or maybe to the family member or the friend that you might even see this weekend. Listen, one thing we learn from the example of Noah is endurance. Remaining faithful to what the Lord has called you to. Verse 8 now. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out. For a place that he was going to receive an inheritance, he went out even though he did not know where he was going. Here's one thing we learn about, learn from Abraham about a life of faith. It will involve uncertainty. And in that un uncertainty, you and I will be tempted to worry. You and I will be tempted to grow anxious. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. For some of us, that causes us worry just reading that. You're like, I, I don't really want to be a part of that road trip. I don't want to go upon that. You set out on va family vacation. If you've got a family, that's the first thing 
uh, the person's driving says to you, I'm not sure where we're going to go. Some of us would be like, mm, okay, uh, I'd like to go back home then. It causes us worry. Abraham was choosing not to live by sight, but by faith. The God who called him was faithful. It was not his role to know the exact path. That wasn't Abraham's job. His job was to follow. His job was to obey and trust that the path would be illuminated as he walked. Where is there uncertainty in your life today? Uncertain about your health, uncertain about the health of a loved one, or when the adoption agency is going to call, or the job that you're in right now, is it the one that you should be doing in the future? Or how is the Lord going to provide for your household in every opportunity such as those and about a thousand other ones? We have an opportunity to trust and reject worry, to pray when we are tempted to grow anxious. Verses 11 and 12, Sarah. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. Here's one thing we learned from Sarah about a life of faith. It will involve a seemingly impossible situation. And in that situation, you and I are going to be tempted to rely upon our own strength. Abraham and Sarah were in their 90s. As the writer describes Abraham in verse 12, I love the blunt honesty. He's good, he, is, he is as good as dead. No offense to the 90-year-olds in this room or listening. I'm just reading the Bible. It's in the Bible. I'm just reading it. But God had made a promise to Abraham, and God was faithful to follow through on that promise. Knowing our God is a promise-keeping God that should motivate us to not rely upon our own strength. When we face situations that seem impossible, we instead turn toward the Lord and say, Lord, we need your strength right now. We need your peace. We need your endurance. We need your faith. We need your spirit. There are cross-pointers right now walking through seemingly impossible situations. I pray the biblical promise that God will never leave you nor forsake you might be an anchor to your soul right now. It was to an elderly couple of Abraham and Sarah who lived by faith. Verse 17 then. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac he received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, therefore he received him back, figuratively speaking. Here's what we learned from this situation. A life of faith in God will involve sacrifice, and in that moment you and I are going to be tempted to withhold. When the Lord asked Abraham to offer up his son Isaac, this was not just someone he loved. This was Abraham's hope for a future. In that day, your hope was often found in your offspring. If you had sons, that, mean, that means you could work more or farm more, which means you could have more, and your children were your safety net. This was your retirement plan. An Old Testament scholar said this, childlessness in any ancient text or narrative, is the effective metaphor of hopelessness. 
For without children, there was no foreseeable future for yourself, for your family, or for your people. They had one child. Isaac was that miracle child, and God was asking them to give him up. So in effect, he was saying, put your earthly hopes and dreams down. Lay them aside. Walk by faith instead. And they did because they trusted God. They didn't withhold. For some of you, the Lord has asked you to sacrifice something. And know that child that's causing you problems right now is not an option. It's not an option. I'm not saying that. I am saying 90-year-olds are old. I'm not saying the child is an option to offer. But the Lord has asked you to sacrifice your comfort, your money, your time, your talent, your vocation, maybe your house. What are you going to do in that moment? Will you live by faith or will you withhold and live by sight? See, Abraham could live by faith because, as verse 19 says, he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back figuratively speaking. He could live by faith in what was unseen because he trusted the God who could see all. I mean, we sang God is able. We sang that truth from Ephesians 3 this morning. But do we actually believe it? Or were we just kind of lip service on that one? Do we truly believe that that's what Scripture teaches? Do we live based upon that conviction? See, Abraham had a settled confidence in the God he worshipped and believed in. Do you have a settled confidence in who God is today? I love that. See, a settled confidence, it might shake, but it's not going to topple over. It might sway, but it's not going to drown. It's a settled confidence. See, here's good news for you and I today. If in your life you've got difficulty, maybe some uncertainty, something that seems impossible, maybe something the Lord is asking you to sacrifice, listen, i got good news for you today. You've got an opportunity to live by faith. If in your life there's nothing difficulty, no uncertainty, like your plans are perfectly laid out and everything is going your way and everything seems possible in your life. Like there's no mountain before you, nothing, no mountain in your own flesh, nothing in your life that seems like a sacrifice or at bare minimum that you've got no one around you walking through some of those situations. Listen, I'm nervous for you if that's you. Not because it's like Chicken Little and something's coming around the corner and, you know, be careful when you drive home today. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about living in fear. But rather, I'm afraid that you believe the myth and the lie that to follow Jesus will actually lead you to a place of comfort, ease, and safety. That He'll never ask you to step out of a comfort zone. He'll never, you, never kick you out of the plane because He loves you. That he'll, that he'll never ask you to do anything beyond your ability. Or that your faith in Christ can be kind of kept over here on a shelf and not really change how you live. And not really impact how you work, how you relate, how you're married, how you date. Look, his plan to change the world, his plan to change the world was to equip a bunch of untrained, unschooled, ordinary people who would go out and be disciple-makers. That strategy hasn't changed. It's still the same strategy. And if you're in Christ today, 
You're part of that strategy. And if you're not in Christ today, He's trying to reach you. He's seeking to, to, to reach you. He's inviting you in. If you're a believer in Christ today, you're part of that mission. And that mission will demand, it will demand that you live by faith. It's not a suggestion. It's going to demand that you live by faith. Because in doing so, listen, that's where real life is found. That's where abundant joy is found. That's where you experience all the blessings that are in Christ, where you get to see other people's lives changed, including your own, and where the Lord gets the glory and the honor. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says to Moses, verses 24 through 27. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He persevered as one who sees him who is invisible. He had all the privileges and the position he could have hoped for, one of the highest positions in the world's greatest of empires, and he walks away. And people are thinking, this is a really bad uh, career move, Moses, really bad retirement plan right here. It's not going to go well for you. You're giving up security. He traded the visible for the invisible because the reward and treasure for what was to come was greater than any earthly treasure. People who live by faith believe not only that God exists, but that by obeying Him and following Him, He's worth it. So how do we actually do this? How do we live by faith? I think there's some um, elements here that we can look at that would encourage us in that. The first is this, a life of faith begins with an internal response. There's an inward response before there's an outward reaction. This is why when we talk repentance, biblical repentance is a change of mind first before it's a change of action. It's not just a change of action because that's just behavior modification. That's morality. Biblical repentance is agreeing with the Lord instead of disagreeing, disagreeing with Him. So a change of mind that leads to a change of action, change of direction. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, after he was worried about what was not yet seen, after he, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear. Your translation may say reverence. Noah inwardly was revering and worshiping God, and that's where the life of faith began. A life of faith began with this inward repentance, a heart and mind change. And then that leads to a life of faith, a faith-filled action. What you don't see in this chapter are examples who, of people who had incredible faith and yet never moved, never took action, never changed. You don't get, by faith, Noah sat. You don't get that. Now, I'm not saying that remaining somewhere isn't a matter of faith or that waiting isn't a matter of faith. By no means am I saying that. What I am saying is we can't say we have faith and yet not have it lead to faith-filled action. Noah built. Abraham left. It doesn't say it in Scripture, but Sarah waited. 
probably nested as she waited. Abraham offered a biblical faith doesn't exist apart from action. Faith in Christ should change how you and I live, how we pray, how we talk, how we think. We can say all we want, that we believe in God, but until that actually translates to faith-filled action, it's just lip service. That's all it is. It's just lip service. Convictions have to lead to a change of life. That's saving faith. That's actual faith in Christ. There's no faith apart from obedience. The next truth. A life of faith is certain of God's promises. The writer of Hebrews wants his reader, including you and me, to endure so that we might obtain the future promises. See, these Old Testament saints never ultimately saw in their life the fulfillment of the Lord's promised Messiah. They were faithful in the waiting there, though. And while we are waiting for the second coming of Christ, we're in a different part of the waiting, we are on the other side of the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. We've seen the promises of the Lord fulfilled in the sending of the Son. We've seen the trustworthiness of God on display. That the promises He made in the Old Testament, we see them come to pass in the New Testament, in the Gospels, in the coming of a rescuer, the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can look at the life of Jesus itself and see that He was faithful all the way through to the cross. He was faithful in the midst of temptation, uncertainty, difficulty, sacrifice, and faithful to rise again on the third day. So seeing the evidence of that, we can be sure that when God promised salvation to all who believe in His Son, that He's faithful. When God promised that all things work out good, work out together good for the... Uh, oh, botched it up. It's Romans 8.28. You can go find it. <laughs> as, a, as a pastor, I'm preaching this message, and there are people um, row to row that are just... Um, I know you're living by faith. I know there's difficulty coming your way and that uh, the Lord is faithful to bring about good using all things to bring about His good in your life, His glory, conforming you into the image of Christ. We know that God promised, when God promises comfort to us in our trials, He's faithful. When God promised new life to uh, new life for those of us who are in Christ, a new creation in Christ, that He's faithful. When God promised to send His Son to, or send a Spirit to dwell and empower all believers, He's faithful. When God said He would finish what He started, that He's faithful. When God promised that nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand, and that nothing can separate you from the love of God found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, earthly difficulty all the way to death. Nothing can separate you. A life of faith has a settled confidence in who God is and how He has revealed Himself in His Word. And His Word is true. The next truth we learn from Hebrews 11 is that a life of faith isn't based on, isn't based on results. Listen to verses 32 through 38. This isn't up on the screen, so you have to look in your Bible for this one. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith 
conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Sign me up. That's living by faith. How was your day today, honey? I shut the mouth of a lion. How was your day? I mean, come on. Who wouldn't want to be on that team right there? I choose that team. Kickball, I, I want to go with that one right there. Other people were tortured. Not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourging, scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. That's in the Bible. In the same chapter, talking about people living by faith. A life of faith doesn't always lead to earthly comfort and, and success. Again, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people who are tempted to give up in the face of persecution, and he's spurring them on to endure. And why does that section spur anybody on to endure? Seriously, why? One word found in verse 35. Again, look at it in your Bible. Resurrection. One word makes all the difference for that section. That even if success and victory are not found in this life, it will be found in heaven in the resurrection because Jesus went first and then promises to all who believe in him that our resurrection is coming one day. That eternal life, rest, joy, communion, delight, it is ours in Christ. Because here's the last truth. The life of faith has its focus on Jesus rather than circumstances. A life of faith stands firm in circumstances because it has its settled confidence in who God is. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God. So it's not simply live by faith, but Paul attaches a, a person to this. Jesus Christ, our faith is in Jesus. So when you become a Christ follower, you're transferring your trust away from yourself and placing it in Christ. In Him. You're moving it away. When Habakkuk 2.4 speaks of living by faith, it's in the context of contrasting th this, the, that the righteous will live by faith and the proud are puffed up. See, the proud believe that faith in self is going to lead to a firm foundation, that faith in self will lead to an abundant life, but the righteous will live by faith we're told. The righteous doesn't mean self-righteous because that'd be proud. The righteous meaning those who place their faith in Christ and understand that through the cross and through faith in Him, He took on our unrighteousness and we are now clothed in His righteousness, meaning we have a right standing with God. So the object or focus of a Christian's faith is not in self, but in Jesus. Circumstances, our personal feelings, should not dictate our willingness to follow Jesus and walk by faith. Because circumstances and feelings change like Illinois weather. Just all the time. See, we look at the people that 
we talked about in, in Hebrews 11, and they had difficult circumstances, and yet they lived by faith. Pastor Paul Tripp says this, as a Christian, you're called to live by faith and obedience, and you have the ability to live by faith and obedience because Jesus is faithful and with you every step of the way. Regardless of your situations, locations, and relationships, you can live by faith without wavering. Crosspoint, we've been called as a church from day one that we would be a church that would live and walk by faith. The temptation that any church faces, that the longer it goes, it begins to shift into walking by sight. Let's do things that are in our control. Let's do things that we can manage. Let's do all these kind of things. And we, we move away from walking by faith and we walk by sight, by either circumstances or our own strength. Biblically, if that's in any of us at all, but it, we, we need to repent from that and be a, be a church that continues to walk by faith. I love how the writer points us back to Jesus at the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, he writes, since we, we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you would not grow weary and give up. We fix our eyes on Jesus so that, as verse 3 says, so that we would not grow, grow weary and give up. All around them, these people are seeing people give up. And he's pointing them back to Jesus. He didn't walk away from the cross. He went to the cross because there was a greater work happening there, a greater purpose. So keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on him who is faithful, who will follow through, whose promises are sure. Where in your life, church, are your eyes fixed on something lesser than Jesus? What circumstance? What person? What situation are your eyes fixed on? Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses, their eyes were fixed on, on the Lord, not on difficulty, uncertainty, what seemed impossible, what they were giving up, the sacrifice that they'd been called to make. Their eyes were fixed on the Lord who was faithful, who had called them. He is good. He doesn't forsake. He's powerful. He's willing. He's able. The worship team could come back up. As I think about this church and the people who call this church home, here are some stories I know of either in the past or present day. By faith, cross-pointers are mourning the loss of a loved one, moving to another state they'd never lived in before, going public with their faith in Christ through baptism. By faith, cross-pointers are battling cancer, giving generously of their money, sharing their faith with their neighbors, their co-workers, praying for that prodigal child, confessing sin, walking in the light, experiencing His grace as a result. By faith, cross-pointers are graduating and trusting God to reveal what is next. By faith, cross-pointers are pursuing marriage counseling, walking with aging parents, serving at VBS, serving in hype, sun chasers, worship, first impressions, common grounds, 
life in the church, remaining faithful in their jobs, recovering from adultery, applying to schools, walking with fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord. By faith, cross-pointers are repenting of bitterness and gossip and slander, lust and greed and pride. By faith, cross-pointers are growing in their knowledge of the Word, leading community groups, joining community groups, rejecting a consumeristic approach to the local church and actually remaining part of the family. They're breaking free from addictions. They're rejecting the cultural norms of living together prior to marriage and actually doing it God's ways. They're paying off debt. They're praying for unsaved spouses. They're taking the step of membership. What is your by-faith story? I pray we would share those with one another this week or maybe if you're eating lunch with someone today or you're gathering with folks over the next couple days. To live by faith is all of life. It's not a part of life. It's not a shelf. It's not a silo. It's all of life. Father, I pray that that would be said of us as a church and be said of me as as your son. Father, spur us on through your word to be a people of faith. Give us endurance. Give us joy. Give us strength. We know that you're able, and we also know that you're willing. You're faithful. Our trust is in you. So in the thousand different circumstances in our lives right now, teach us to be a people who live and walk by faith. We trust you. We love you. We are grateful that you're a God who knows all and sees all. Nothing takes you by surprise, so, so we trust you. Thank you for not forsaking us. Thank you, for, thank you for not walking out on us, but being a good and perfect Father to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand up and worship. So to live by faith, uh, we hold two things in tension. On, on one side, uh, we live by faith when nothing changes around us. Circumstances remain the same. On the other side, we live by faith and we pray that things can change. So from Scripture, I want to remind you of that tension. Psalm 73. Nothing's changed in the psalmist's world. And yet at the end, he says this, Yet I'm always with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me up in glory. Who do I have in heaven but you, and I desire nothing on earth but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Then he says in verse 28, But as for me, God's presence is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge so I can tell about all you do. In Habakkuk, probably haven't read much Habakkuk, have you? There's only three chapters, really obscure prophet. Nothing's changed in this, in this letter. He, he, he prays, he petitions God, and nothing in circumstantial things around him change. And he says this at the end. Though the, fig, though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate 
I'll celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in God of my salvation. The Lord is my Lord and my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. But then you look in the early church. We hold these things in tension, right? Acts 4 says this, And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant... So the church is being persecuted. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. They prayed, and circumstances changed. And finally, Ephesians 3, which captures this tension perfectly. Imagine that, the word of God capturing it perfectly. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I pray that we would be a church that would live by faith, that I would be a pastor live by faith, and that we would be a, a group of God's people who would walk and live by faith, not just this week, but in the next 15 years and years after that. May God get all the glory. See you back next Sunday.